Met a ghost of a king on the road when I first fell. Fire burning to my knees, to my knees I fell. Met a ghost of a king on the road. Here we are. Here we are. I'd like to say right now that I apologize for Brian Cole's behavior in delaying this episode so long. <laughs> With the flu and other things. Just being generally uh, ill. <laughs> ill at ease. Yeah. Just just being sickening. This is the, um, this is the first recorded SASP of 2024. And it is it really? Which is a long break. Our people think we died, but what a great time we had off. Doesn't feel like any time off at all. <laughs> it's kind of surprising that it will that it that it yes, you're right. It it actually is weeks off, but I think they felt like weeks full of work. Yeah, yeah. It went fast in yeah. in like the worst way. So, yeah. but we're here now. And I think it's good we're to here. always stop complaining. We're here. I think it's good to start 2024 with looking back at 2023. And you, you think know, so? I, I would also like to say that I think we confirmed that we don't need to do this this often. Did I, we, did, I didn't hear anything from anybody. Oh, I heard from people. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I think people just know that complaining to you won't do anything. <laughs> okay, <Yeah>. fine. Okay, <laughs> fine. We'll keep up the weekly pace. Any, anything that makes us do less SAS, people will complain. The yip. So, so we will try for another one next Monday, I guess. I think so. That's okay. the schedule. We're, we're aiming back at the weekly thing. We're not changing our minds and deciding to do quarterly. No, we actually or, really, really like the weekly schedule. Okay. Anyways. Weekly schedule it is. What are we talking about, Brian? We're Here talking about. SASFA number one. I mean, we're going to start off the year with a, with a softball of a question. Uh-oh. Here's the softball of a question. It's from Ryan. I don't know which Ryan. One of you, Ryan's. Uh, one of the themes that pops up in SASP is being an interesting character, but most, perhaps all, question mark, of the characters we think of or think are interesting lead abnormal lives. He lists King David and then Cyrus and Antigone Smith, which is a you know a nice juxtaposition. How do normal people be interesting slash great characters? And I think that you know is kind of a, it really is the 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 banner topic of SAS was what stories or soul food means. It's a challenge at the heart of what you've been saying, Nate. How can you be interesting if you're not Cyrus Smith? <laughs> <laughs> I think this actually is a question that we'd darn sure better have an answer for. Really? Because should I let you try first? Yeah, you should let me try. Okay, try, go. Okay. I I think that you're actually selling, Brian, I don't know anything about you. You're selling yourself short. We've all been put in some very interesting times both with your kids, when you have the emergency, you know, I don't know. These are not super exciting things to read about, but when my tire blows out in zero degree weather, how do I handle it? That's what happened with me while we were not podcasting. That's why we didn't podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Nate, I won't be podcasting. And then, uh, you know, and then I think we've also got massive government overreach. We have COVID, we have war, we have politics, we have church fights. We have all the stuff that you need for perhaps not uh, fighting trans mortals uh, like Cyrus did, but it does seem like we all have the ingredients to be interesting where we are, whether or not we're actually King David killing Philistines. I think there's a bit of fantasy in that question. You'd have to have a sword in your hand yeah, in order to be interesting. And I don't know that that's true. Well, here, here's my question. Why aren't you more like King David? Like, <laughs> but I mean... Sure, be more interesting. I'm mm. I'm a big supporter of go ahead, be more interesting, be more like King David. Like it's, so, you just you just swallow it and be like, yeah. I, I would, it's well, an indictment that you're. It's not an indictment of you, yeah. If you're not interesting, yeah. And you should not. I will say this: find yourself particularly interesting. That is important. Okay, so like, that's actually a sign of so, health. For yeah, Ryan. so I, I would say that it's not a sign of ill health that you don't find yourself interesting. That's, uh, that's great, Ryan. Way to go. Way to not find yourself particularly interesting. However, you should become more interesting. If you're genuinely not, you should become more interesting. Um, and you should try to be more like King David. You should try to be more like the Apostle Paul. You should try to be more like Christ, ultimately. Uh, and that's uh, pretty interesting. Yeah. That, just that journey of trying to become more, more, trying to become more like, more like, more like is, is great. Um, 
But I would say, yeah, try to be more interesting, but also realize that the first step to being interesting is being interested. Somebody who's genuinely interested in the world around them is not boring to be around. Yeah. They are interesting characters. They are fun to be with. They know stuff. They see stuff. They notice what's happening uh, around them way more than other people do. And being with them and having them point stuff out and having them know things is riveting. Yeah. So I love being around people who are highly informed about obscure stuff. I love being around people who can tell me what kind of rock this is, who can tell me what kind of tree this is, can tell me how fast it grows, can tell me where the biggest tree is. Like to be interested makes you more interesting. Yeah. So if you know that flowers pull a negative charge out of the ground with their root system and that bees have a positive charge, and so they're like they actually lit- they literally attract like a magnet to a fridge <laughs> and that there's actually a frequency that's going on around a flower that we we would have to use really really delicate instrumentation to even hear and play and it's this you know there's this tone and that changes as the bee flies flies around it and it varies and then when the bee flies into the flower um, I can't remember which BBC thing this is from, but Attenborough talks about this in one of his videos. Mm. The bee flies into the flower. It silences it. Like the two offset perfectly. The pollen jumps onto the bee because like, mm. it's negatively charged and the bee is positively charged. And when the bee leaves, he leaves, uh, she leaves the flower silent. I see. I've and wondered so, this because observing bees which is something i did a lot as a child <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It, they don't go to the same flower twice no. they just and and yet they can hit a whole cluster in an order that doesn't seem to make sense yep. but they don't go to the same so the, twice. the, the next bee there a bee flying around can know by sound and also by magnetic pole which one has not been collected mm-hmm. and which one has just been collected and so you know as long as there's more charge left there's more like more positivity can arrive, more bee can come. Mm. Um, and they leave the flower silent. And so it has to build up its charge again to attract the next bee. Wow. And the idea of this having happened by accident is, of course, utterly <laughs> ludicrous. Um, One flower but, started singing, but it was tone deaf and yeah, like, but flowers it, didn't it, exist. These, just even walking through your day, I don't care where you are in the world. You could be in Cleveland. And I'm going to say this for all you Clevelanders. Uh, without any desire to be insulting, Cincinnati's close for me, uh, but they put chili on spaghetti for unknown reasons, and so there's a little bit more interest there. But the Cleveland, skyline chili, Cleveland is one of the least interesting places that there is. Here's to you, LeBron James. Yeah, Cleveland's <laughs> just not interesting. Even even there, yay, verily in Cleveland, you live in a fantasy world. It's insane. Everything's insane. And if you wake up to it and you pay attention to it and you come alive to what God's actually doing around you all the time, it makes you more interesting because you are more interested and you begin to live in the world as it is in the world that's really the one God made and you behave differently. You carry yourself differently. You laugh differently. You love differently. You mediate reality for your children differently. Yeah. Um, You buy more puppies and more lizards. You do... (laughs) You do things like this. We recently had uh, our son brought a, brought a friend, great guy, visited, visited our house. And all we heard afterwards is our son said, yeah, he said it was like, it, it was visiting was like being in the movie Meet the Robinsons, <laughs> <laughs> and, which made us laugh because we're like, what are you, what are you talking about? But <laughs> we're totally normal, except for the giant African tortoise in its own shed, uh, our crazy, like, gregarious, fun uh, Jewish grandfather who's ready to regale you with tales of almost dying in Beirut or his, <laughs> you know, his time in Kurdistan or whatever. Or, you know, when he uh, showed uh, NBA Hall of Famer how to buy drugs uh, in Tijuana. <laughs> <laughs> or when he had to take over his brother's drug dealing operation while his brother did jail time. Um, just... You know, like that, he, he was just ready with stories The you know, and, you know, then there's the whole conversion story and mm-hmm. everything else. 
Well, um, we'll let you listeners decide which went yeah, where. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So anyway, the, the point is, if you are interested and you're interested in the world God's given you and you're interested in the day God has given you, you're interested in the weather God has given you, you become more interesting. Yeah, you I just think- do. And people can call it eccentric because it is, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you are, by virtue of your interest, more interesting. Uh, I think too, as parents, you get a massive head start on this because your kids think you're interesting for so long. Yeah, yes. Without, <laughs> even to argue, if there's an argument to the contrary to be made, your kids are ready to learn yeah. whatever you find exciting or interesting then, you know, from a very young age. And you don't have to squander that opportunity. Yeah. Of, of, you don't have to let them discover frogs and snails and everything else through everybody else in the world. You, you can be that mediator right. of this crazy, fantastical right. reality. And, and, and even if you have one of those jobs that you struggle to explain to other people, figure out how to explain it to your kids. So your kids aren't some of those that I've met who have been like, I don't know what my parents do. Yeah. That, that's always a little crazy to me. Yep. Um, but uh, it remind, you talking about that reminds me of, you know, some of my favorite science texts I've ever read. They're all from the 1800s because it's like Faber's Book of Insects, where this is clearly a weird guy, but he just sat around watching insects and would yeah. write a chapter on a particular insect in its entire life and how it interacted with his backyard. I assume he's a gentleman farmer. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but, but that ability to actually channel interest in something tiny and bizarre. To stop and, and watch. Yeah. You know, I can tell you about the time I watched a fly give live birth while having a mantis eat its head off. <laughs> I can and, tell you about the time I put a sweat bee in a cat spider's web and it uh, stung the spider. And so then the spider went and cut it loose. It was like, this guy is too big for me. Went and cut it out of the web. <laughs> and I still remember the spurt of juice from the spider when it got stung. It was crazy all around. You know, those are <laughs> well, the spider's like, thanks a bunch, Brian. <laughs> he was like, he was like, I didn't want this. <laughs> yeah. But the, uh, the, the point is you have to ask yourself what's so interesting about David. Yeah. Like what was, what was so interesting about him? And ultimately it was his relationship with God. Like mm-hmm. his, his confidence, his absolute confidence swagger came from somewhere. And it wasn't from his self-worship. It was from his close relationship with his creator. And like the reason why he shows up as a kid and is like, why has no one killed this giant? Is because of his confidence in God and his relationship with God. Not because he thinks he's the world's greatest athlete or mm. something like that. He's not believing in himself. It's his relationship with God that, that builds him up and up and up. Yeah. Uh, and so there's no reason why anybody even in Cleveland, cannot become just wildly interesting because they are a close friend of the creator God and they love his handiwork artistically and at every level in their front yard and, and in the, the movements of history. So mm-hmm. whether the rhythm and movements of history or in scripture or in that potato bug uh, in your sidewalk crack, yeah, you know, it's like it's his work is everywhere. And if you're interested in it and you're interested in a relationship with him and interested in knowing him better and better and better, you are not unchanged by that. Yeah. Like none of it, none of us can do that and just be unchanged. I do think we have been catechized by the Do- Dos Equis man into what is the world's most interesting man yeah. look like. And so there can be a feeling where you think, you know, we tell Ryan, Hey, be more interesting. Ryan, he thinks, what do I need to you know, fly to Australia every other week or something. Sure. And- <laughs> no, no, be more interested. Yeah. Start by being more interested and you can turn that up. You should be able to turn that up today. Yeah. And, and start there. And, and um, often, oftentimes too, just interesting, interested in people around you. Yeah. Some, some of the, some of the most interesting people, you know, are the kind of people who know the randomest facts about the people in the community. Yeah. So it's, um, it just doesn't matter who you're interacting with or who you're around. If you are more interested, like it starts to, it starts to move the needle. And in Riot in the Dance, we talked about uh, to be bored in this world is to be boring in this world. Uh, great line. Um, I, like, I like that. And line. just focus on that. Like focus on the fact that the world in which you've been placed, the day in which you've been placed, the family in which you've been placed is all miraculous. It's all phenomenal. It's all spoken from nothing by its infinite creator God. 
and and just become alert to it, become aware of it, turn on your nerve endings to exist in that and be changed. You like you you will become ravenous for more and it makes you a lot more interesting more it makes you more volatile makes you less predictable um and i mean those both in in good ways sure sure like the robinsons yeah (laughs) yeah uh it reminds me too of the chinese curse to go back to terry pratchett yeah interesting times may you live in interesting times uh, which we do there there are worse things yeah. Than to be slightly, slightly, you know, not dealing with Philistines and uh, what is it, the Amalekites taking your wives and children. Um, it's it it is also really odd that you know I think about what previous generations have lived through, and I think about my own impulse in you know the late '80s as a 12 year old, you know, to wish that I lived in a more volatile time. Yeah. The time of adventures, you know, I want to be a hobbit on an adventure. I want to go. Right. Defeat, I want there to be a Sauron. world war. Yeah. Yeah. No, you don't. Um, <laughs> but I, I think about my grandfather's stories and the normal people in those stories that I would love to meet and question. Uh, but there were just glancing blows. You know, that doctor who worked in my grandfather's leg after Guadalcanal, uh, my grandfather's father who uh, worked. Uh, he worked colored jobs. Um, he, I don't, I don't even know what ethnicity he actually was, but he was really dark and lived in a world in which, you know, he could not get white work, quote unquote. Um, and how much the world has changed, like the weird hardships and tyrannies and oppressions that were going on, even as Germany starts invading Poland and everything else. So my, my grandfather is home. His, his dad is plowing victory gardens for people. He ends up fighting a stallion. Uh, his stallion rebels in the harness when he's plowing somebody's yard so they can plant produce, uh, you know, to survive the war. And in fighting the stallion, he has a heart attack. And my 15-year-old grandfather has to take over everything. Wow. Um, and it's like, well, his dad was a really interesting character. Uh, his, his dad was the one who uh, ended up entering Nebraska in a covered wagon and exiting in a buick you know it's there's an upgrade <laughs> there's there's a lot of story there you know yeah there, there's a lot of story um and the thing is that we become fascinated with regular people from different times and just realize that you are one of those regular people in a different time yeah so 40 years from now like people would just be desperate to ask you what it was like. What was it like? Right. And what God, was it like? God what was it like? God wouldn't make billions of us if there wasn't something for us to do. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, Amen. There's something fruitful for you to do. And there's something fruitful for you to do every single day. Is it, is it Sir Roger Scruton who says that everyone's a conservative about that, which he knows best? I can't remember who it is, but it, that to me is something that I think is another path to being interesting, not just being interested, but have something that you know best. Like, yeah. it, you know, like when, when you can get someone going on a topic that they like, don't be a bore, but, but uh, I, you know, someone who won't stop talking about a particular thing is often more interesting. One of the, one of the things I love to, oh, he's still alive. So one of the things I currently love about my uncle, uh, Gordon Wilson, is the fact I, I recognized at a pretty young age that he was an incredible connoisseur of small things. Mm, yeah. You know, he was, a, he was a student of beauty and when you put your milk on your frosted flakes, you know, okay. it's like, it's yeah, okay. Right, it didn't, right. it didn't matter. It didn't matter what it was. It could be, it could be so trivial and he would try to find the way to do it best <laughs> and to, and to love it most. And so, when he, uh, you know, describing small beauties and small things, you know, he was the, the uncle when I was in graduate school who always had glass mugs in the freezer because it was best to pour your beer at the end of the day into this frosted. Okay. Yeah. Like, he, like the things that cost nothing, the details right. that cost nothing, the details that were, you know, within reach for anybody, not just for a rich man. Mm. He found and perfected and appreciated with just deep love. And so he was never ungrateful. He was never, ever uninterested. He was always interested. He was always really, really specific. 
and targeted in trying to find those things which are best, which God is offering us right here that we could do that would just be a little better, a little more fun. Yeah. And then when he did it and he had it that way, he was never without satisfaction and praise and gratitude for it. Mm. Whether it was a cheap beer poured into a perfectly frosted mug on a porch in Virginia in the humidity, you know, he just savored it. Every <laughs> single lightning bug that hung around that porch was deeply appreciated. Yeah. You know, it's like when you sat there with that frosted mug and, and I, I really appreciated that about him. Um, it's a great, it's a great example because as he got more opportunities, as he was able to go to Sri Lanka, as he was able to go to Africa, as he's able to take his skills in Riot and the Dance off and, and chase animals that were exotic and strange. When he preached to kids, appreciate your own backyard, love your own backyard, find the monsters and the critters and the amazing magic there first, and then move on. He was no hypocrite. He had done that. This was the arc he was on. And I, I just really appreciate that about him. So all of us exist here, whipping around a star at, you know, Mach 86. None of us are in a boring world. Yeah. There's absolutely no responsibility, no burden to be a boring character Yeah, in a boring world. Well, I was, this is interesting. This is more down the nature doc path, but I was showing it, showing a nature doc to my kids and my son just really reacted against the bleakness and negativity of the bbc ones yeah he's he just said to me dad i i hate how the animals always die yeah in every single one of these and i realized that i tend to just i think zone out or tune out all the narrator as he's just going on and on and uh i was realizing that yeah it is pretty the the bbc definitely has an angle yeah and it's merciless yep and it's always this survives but this for sure doesn't and, yeah. and I, I thought that was pretty interesting, especially compared to Riot and the Dance. It's of, also the, the one of the things that bothers me about the BBC is their unwillingness to intervene. Them believing, sure, them believing sure. that man does not have any obligation of dominion in a particular moment. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. But they do have an obligation of dominion in EU climate change policy. You sure. Know, so they're like they massive have, hypocrites. They have, yeah, they have an <laughs> obligation of dominion over their fellow man, but they don't have an obligation to pull that animal out of the water that's about to drown that doesn't have to. Yeah. They don't they don't have the obligation yep. to to you know well, to the, intervene the in baby that elephant way. who gets turned around in the desert and starts heading back out of the desert and they're just like, "Dang, stinks for this animal." Yep. You know, and uh or or and then and then they use those moments as clips to help motivate and whip everybody who watches. Yeah. So at first I was I was kind of surprised cuz also son, a ton of it's staged okay yeah sure so they're just making it up or making it happen um the nature of production is such you look at camera angles and and things you know it's just like okay you ran how many lizards did you throw into the snake pit to capture this one sequence yeah you know (laughs) like this is there's there's that kind of right stuff that they are intervening in other ways but their their view is the nature of truth is you have to communicate something that would happen it doesn't have to be what did happen mm. and so they they will uh put together shots from and th- this is incidentally i think some of this is fine this is not an accusation right. Right. So, uh, some of this to a certain degree is fine but they would put together a a narrative of like a hawk looking at a rabbit and the rabbit running and the hawk was shot two weeks you know away from the rabbit and the rabbit heard the cameraman right and flinched and right you know it's like they'll because that's the kind of thing that happens right they feel fine um presenting it as if it just did and they just captured it sure um and that and there's a fine line there right uh, there's there's a very fine line well i mean they'll film you can tell when they're just swapping babies in yeah. baby seals or baby penguins you know <laughs> they they're tracking a story they don't there's no way i mean sometimes you can tell but there's yeah. no way they're tracking that seal doing all these things and it's other times, they, of them. yeah, the, the, <laughs> the one of the things we discovered in being in the field is that it does help if you're the BBC and you can call uh, whatever researchers are there and you're just on the inside and you'd be like, hey, so we need all your radio tagged animals. And so there mm-hmm. are a lot of these, they, some of these are the same animal because they're radio tracked. And gotcha. so there's researchers who are already tracking these wild dogs. There's researchers who are already 
sitting in the field, studying them. And so the BBC knows exactly where they are and can follow them to you know, particular places. If you actually head out and, and try to track a wild animal, it's, right. it's pretty difficult. Right. Um, and, and they did, it was by means of this that they actually discovered what zebra camouflage is for. Because it's really hard to track a zebra among <laughs> zebras, right? One particular individual. And so they would tag it. I'm trying to remember. I, I wish I could provide a, a footnote for this, but um, I did. I did not make this up. <laughs> I need to go find my source. <laughs> Whenever they tagged the zebra, they do like a little dab of paint, um, or you know, ear or anything. Yeah, that zebra was immediately killed. Oh wow! And they discovered that that people, the, the predators, are not hunting the weak and the straggling. Because they're weak and straggling, they're hunting them because they can be differentiated. Mm. And so there's a level of communication that's happening between the predators that they are targeting specific identifiable individuals for attack. And when something's a little bit of, away from the herd or sick, it is recognizably different and they're all able to target it and take it down. But when, <laughs> as soon as they put a little dab of red paint on a really big healthy zebra, that's sad. <laughs> then they, they've marked it for destruction. That one's going... That one's getting taken out. But anyway, all this to say about the BBC is it is bleak. They are very bleak and despairing. Yeah. Um, and yet capture some really gorgeous stuff I love to look at. Oh, totally. And, you know, I, I really, really appreciate them. And at the same time, they are the priests of nihilism. Yeah. Like, and I think my son's, uh, he's he's not emotionally calloused in that way. And so he's definitely picking up on the, this yeah. is, this is, this is and not And he shouldn't good. be. And he shouldn't right. be emotionally right. calloused. Yeah. Right. And uh, me, I'm just like, ah, I already know there's a bit of drama behind it. And nine out of 10 predator hunts are going to fail anyway. So <laughs> it's kind of cool. The lion gets to eat, right? Yeah. Lion's got to eat. Right. But it is. I do, I do really like how Riot in the Dance has, has both addressed the pain and suffering of, of you know, this is not yeah. how it should be. But also the Bible's full of, of comments about how nature does reflect the glory of God yeah. as it is now, even though I'm, it is I'm rewriting I'm rewriting a section. Uh, of an episode of writing the dance right now and adding writing to it is this Liz lioness hyena interaction and the hyenas are really interesting because right now in the in the narration we're talking about how god chose the lion to represent the line of judah and the lion is represented nobility and yeah um and some of this is by choice but you also try to imagine the hyena of judah it's not like god could have just picked anything because he he laced it into the design mm-hmm. of the animal. There is a nobility in the lion that is in the lines and shape, yeah, and demeanor of that lion. The way the lion stands, yeah, and poses, just, they're chill, like, their chillness. I don't know how to describe it, but there that. is a majesty. No, there is they a do majesty. Have some majesty. There is yeah. a majesty to it, and there is not a majesty to the hyena. There is a brutal power. There yeah, is a they, devouring. They, yeah, there's a devouring <laughs> endurance. But it's not a thing that could have just been switched, mm. you know. And it's it's pretty interesting to see that the design of the animal was it's it's designed for an image and for a metaphor that's going to be used later. Mm. And those lions had been existing for a long time before it got used that way. Yeah, and it was the right use. You know, they were designed for it. Sure. So it's but it is really interesting to see the brokenness uh, as well, like the curse. Um, but God and Job brags about feeding you know predators as well yeah that includes us so when you sit around your table and thank god for your hamburger <laughs> you know, right uh, or for the venison your uncle shot right you know what, whatever it might have been um just know just know where you fit yeah when we were talking through it that is one thing i, I was bringing up to him like hey they're doing something to your emotions because yep you say when uh in harry potter 5 when a, the beloved serious passes away that didn't wreck my son the way yeah. that this one animal scene did and yeah. and it, we've talked about this before how kids are much better at or 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 rather the emotion of an animal dying is much easier for a child to understand than the emotion of an adult dying i think i think there's like a, a breaker that trips for little kids with with adults but i also think i don't know that animal there's i've said that it's easier for them to handle animal duress and stuff but i also think there's ways in which it's harder sorry no no i said the i say the opposite you said that they it's easier for them to get emotional import out of something happening to the animal correct yes than it is for for i was was about to retract 
<laughs> I was no, about no, to retract you said my the right thing. Yeah, okay. No, you said the right thing. Is that See? they feel the animal character more yeah. than they do the human. But we can use animal stories to um, to mitigate trauma and, and drama. Yeah. But it's man, it hits hard. Yeah, it's, it still yeah. hits hard. Uh, any anyway, it is as far as Ryan goes in this whole question. Get interested. Get interested yeah. in your neighbors. Get interested in your coworkers. Get interested in every fly you ever see. Yeah. Uh, know all about the blood bag. A fly blows out of its head to get out of its little <laughs> maggot skin. Um, what, what about for those of us? Those okay. We've already said you have to like creation, right? Yeah. yeah. But how about perhaps for those who are not so? And I don't know. They're not the creature type. They're more the tech side. Uh, it's not. This is not optional. <laughs> blood bags are not optional. It's not optional. <laughs> Um, I, I will say this very dogmatically, if you haven't noticed, if God made it, yeah, like you're supposed to appreciate it. Mm. If, if you are made in the image of God, it should be part of your life goal to become more and more like him as much as possible. Yeah. And he's pretty interested. Right. In all this stuff. He actually put a lot of work into a lot of those snakes. And those spiders. And I don't care if you want to plead gender or whatever. Uh, you actually have to be amazed and appreciative. Like you don't get right. to say, I want to skip this entire floor of the museum that God's made for us and stuck us in. Like he's your father. He's, he's your creator. He made all this stuff. You are one of the heirs inheriting all this stuff. You don't get to say, can you only read me the part of the, the inquest where I get given the things I'm already interested in as opposed to the things he intended to give me? Mm. Um, we just don't get to do that. Mm. So we, get, we are given the world. We have been given the creatures. We all have. Uh, the children of God are the collective heirs of all of this. Like, all of it. So we really should be interested. Right. Like we really have to be interested. We don't get to say, don't tell me anything about any of that whole section of the theme park that I'm inheriting. I don't want to know about it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, uh, well, it's wrapped. It has a ribbon on it. It's been handed to you by your father. So look up, open your eyes, say, thank you. You ingrate and open it. <laughs> It's like, we know, we know this about children. Like, imagine if like, and especially it's funny that moms do this because moms are the ones who get wronged this way the most when moms put a ton of work into something and they present it to their children and it's just, you know, yeah, the trampled or ignored yeah. or just, yeah. they kind of like they run through it. They could have been, they're not being appreciated for whatever meal or whatever thing. An exquisite or the, dinner is consumed exquisite in dinner three minutes or, flat. <laughs> or the, the fact that Johnny has underwear at all, let alone that it's clean. <laughs> you know, it's like there's like her, her family's provided for her family is clothed and fed and cared for. And she's doing all this. Moms are frequently the ones who are wronged by their children. Sure, Cause the kids are being way. like, actually, I don't care about laundry. I don't care about anything you do for me. Right. I don't thank you when you drive me to school or when you drive me to soccer practice. I don't even think to thank you. I just take. Mm. Um, and it's on parents to instruct gratitude in their children. Right. Without being like yeah, awful. Na without nagging. Yeah. Don't you realize what I'm doing for you? You know, it's like, <laughs> thank me for every soccer practice, you know, but, yeah. they, but they also need to raise good humans. And so they need to train their kids to be gratitude, you know, agents of gratitude. <laughs> you know, they, they, need, they need that. Uh, so given that moms are the ones who receive that treatment the most, it is ironic to me that they are generally the greatest offenders in this category towards the creator God. <laughs> they do uh, yeah, no, the here, same here's thing. Where the rubber hits they the do the same exact thing. Yeah. Like, take that mantis away. No, Johnny, I don't want to look at it. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to look at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't want to look at the present God gave you. I don't want to look at the present God gave us. I don't want to look at the world you know, that's being given to us. Um, and it's really unfortunate. I mean, it really, really is. And so you have boring dads who go to work and they're tired. And so they, they feel used up and they come home and they just want to kind of blob and be a beanbag uh, because they just work nine to five. You can have that kind of a problem. And a lot of guys do that. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they turn off the, uh, their interest in reality and they turn sure. on football or, or whatever else. Sure. Um, but moms, you know, 
No, you can't freeze a spider. No, you can't have an insect collection. No, I don't want to see your frog. I don't, yeah. you know, and I, th- I think many, many mothers, I should say, are fantastic on this front and they, and they're cutting against the grain when they do it. Yeah. You know, it's like they, they know they are working against their own, their own instincts, but especially with their little kids, they do a great job. I know a ton of mothers who are fantastic right. in this, but, but when moms are interested, when moms are amazed, it is so powerful with kids. It's yeah. really powerful. And it's one of the greatest ways to teach that gratitude That's a everywhere point. is to That's be grateful point. yourself, is to yeah. be somebody demonstrating gratitude yeah. constantly to your children instead of, no, 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 no. And, and treating God like he really is this uncouth father who just won't stop it with the bugs. Right. <laughs> just won't, he won't stop it with <laughs> There the, are so many. There's so many bugs. I won't <laughs> stop it with the bugs and the worms and the moths and- yeah. And all the ants and everything else. And instead of uh, really, really imaging for their children, that amazed gratitude, that wonder. It, it's also pretty cool how interested you can be without your kids finding out that you wouldn't touch one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it could be years before yeah. the kids are like, wait, mom won't touch it. And she's afraid of it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, my, my wife recently was like, Dave, or Dave, our black-headed python, my son's black-headed python. Dave's just having a bad attitude. Like he was, he was like, he tried to bite me when I was giving him water. Like I just felt bad for Dave because he's, he's so pretty and like his Rory's off at college. Normally he'd be handling him. And, and, but I I was really cracked up that she had done that. I was really cracked up that she'd gotten into Dave's cage at all. Right. Because I would not have expected her to do that. Like I'll do that. That's fine. Right. You you don't have to be the handler. (laughs) Right. Like, when yeah. when Billy is showing you the garter snake that's vomiting up a mouse, yeah, at at the moment. there's no requirement for mom to hold at that point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you do have to be amazed, but you you do not have to say here. Let me hold it. Right. That's yeah. a, that's a, a little bit different. But it, it is, in other words, rep, like be interested and represent gratitude to your kids in every single way that you possibly can, and you will become more interesting. Yeah, that's great. Um, maybe one last question to tag on the end from our global, our global audience. Great. Um, this is a question coming from South Africa where, uh, a, a single guy is asking, how do you be a good uncle slash, you know, uh, well, I guess I don't, I'm not trying, I'm not trying, I'm not sure what the best analogy is for this. Cause there's a, he's saying South Africa is a pretty fatherless society. Yeah. How do you be an interesting guy when you are not the dad? Like, how do you be a good uncle? I don't think it's the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> it doesn't. I, fe- I feel like interesting expeditions. <laughs> I feel like interesting uncle is is not hard. It's kind of the sweet spot, right? Yeah, I mean, it depends on how old the kids are and everything else. But you get to be the guy with the donuts and the adventures. You know, you know, like that's yeah. You get to be the guy where the parents can be really grateful to you because you're. At, you know, time with you for their kids is time engaged with the world and active and right. energetic, but it still buys them free time to get something else done. Right. You know, where you're not babysitting them. Yeah. You know, you're, you're taking them on adventures. You're being Gandalf. Yeah. Um, I was grateful for uncles who were like, Hey, would you like to learn how to drive? You know? Yeah. And then, you know, I'm a 12 year old out on the back oh, roads yeah. of Idaho. Well, I guess I shouldn't. Memorialized. <laughs> you, you absolutely, you absolutely should. <laughs> yeah. My my grandfather bought a little dumpy car on his acreage and taught us to drive so young. Yeah. And we would just be driving laps in the like out in the pasture, just like we had this yeah. little course in this bad little car. Yeah. Uh, same thing with the motorcycle. You know, we were yeah. we were out yeah. there really young. Um, I have had great uncles on both sides. Yeah. So my my yeah. uncle Bob was a legend. Um. For us growing up, he was just fantastic, really funny, playful, a blast. Yeah. Um, and what he did, he was in Colorado. So what he did is uh, he would come up once a summer, rent this little dumpy shack on the lake and just was like a five-day party, Yeah, you know, of just like pulling us, you know, on yeah. tubes and swimming and teaching us to dive and, you know, and all the, just all of it. Yeah. You know, from I, campfire I've, songs to tubing and everything else. And it was five days a year and it mattered a ton. It was huge. And then on the other side, my uncle Gordon, um, 
my uncle Evan has always been really, really hospitable. My uncle Gordon is that, like I said, the connoisseur of small things and of creatures. And, you know, like it's why I'm interested. It's why I am not just in, you know, a guy who reads philosophy and theology and right and doesn't know anything about the natural world. I'm way, I'm way more inclined towards natural revelation than I would have been without him because of his pleasure in it. Yeah, on my dad's side, my uncles are so generous. I feel like I've I haven't that as an uncle, generosity is something that a kid can really see because they're like, uh-huh. hey, this person owes me nothing. Yep. And yet every time I see them, they have something yep. that they want to give me or show yep. me. And no, then generosity I, and gratitude. Yeah. Those two. And then on my uh my mom's side, it's they're much more they're the rednecks. So they're the ones who are like, Oh, you're an editor. Would you like to help me catch this bull? And then they watch to see what happens. And that's very valuable too for an uncle. <laughs> Yeah. You know, that's, that's, oh, that's prime uncle. It's Perfect. the other kind. <laughs> You're one of would you those like to drive? Yeah. Would you like to drive this semi there? You know, you better shift it right. You know, and you know, those kinds of things are awesome. <laughs> you don't get that experience here yeah. uh, as, as an editor. Yeah, as an editor. <laughs> yep. So be, be interested, be grateful, image that. And I would say that as you do that, you'll find that God will put bigger and bigger challenges in front of you just because he's equipping you for them. Because being being equipped with gratitude is being equipped for almost everything. That is true. That it it feels to me like when you're reading a book and you start to pick up on a particular theme and you notice the theme everywhere. Yeah, it seems like that happens with life. Oh yeah. Uh, in life, you're on a particular way. We're like, hey, I wonder if I can help somebody in need. You yeah. know, you help one person. You think first. You think I don't. I don't know anybody who's in need. But you start pulling a thread. It's like everywhere. Or yeah. or same thing. Is there a way that I can help? little kids get better at sports or something like that. Yeah. The, those kinds of threads just pop up. Yep. You kind of got to be careful what I've you never, start looking I've for. I've never liked uh, Harbaugh, coach of University of Michigan. Um, yeah. Michigan football, not a Harbaugh fan. Um, was not hoping he'd win the national championship this year. Don't mind his brother, coach of the Ravens, but just yeah. never liked him um, at all. And then I, I just saw that he was at the, the March for Life. And there was a, an interview with him or some, some quote where he said that the journalist asked, is it really true that um, you tell your football teams, if there's ever an unplanned pregnancy, don't ever pay for an abortion. Like, just don't do it. And if you ha- are in that situation, don't, don't do that. Let my wife and I take the kid. We'll take the kid. Wow. And saying that to whole football teams, <laughs> like yeah. for your career, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Like that's, that's insane. And I was like, man, like what a okay. cool, what a cool guy. <laughs> like I'm officially the, like big one in the, I, w might st- <laughs> I might still root against you as long as you're in the big 10, but awesome job. Like what a, right. what a great character. Like that's a, that is a yeah. great character moment. That guy is saying that. Um, yeah. To how many men has he said that who really needed to hear that? Yeah. I mean, and how many lives were affected by it? You yeah. know, it's like the, over, wow. over the years. So any, anyway, that one, you know, I, f- I find that's an example of, of like being just, interesting. That's just bold faithfulness, <laughs> yeah. right? That is just yeah. a bold faithfulness right there. And immediately swung my affections for him radically. Right. You know, I could still root against him on the football field, but I've never right. had a high opinion of that guy at all. And now I do. Right. It's like, okay, great. Mm. But it's any, anyway, being a great, a really good uncle is, is uh, an enormous, enormous gift to kids to have that. So more power to you in South Africa. Go for it. That's and you great. have, a, and you have like a significant uptick in critters from what we have. So you should be very interesting indeed. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> well, first episode of the year. There, we did it. Do we have a, a lamp we need to throw at people yet? Or are we going to put that off? Um, we, we can kind of put it off. I know we are going to talk about boys in the boat. Yep. I don't really, the book and the film. I don't really want to have it as a lamp. Okay. Uh, we might wait till it's out on uh, streaming so everybody can see it. Um, I will recommend Shawshank Redemption. Wow. Which I just watched with my kids. It's been on my list for a long time, uh, waiting for filters. Yeah. So I have, I have this list of films of things I want to watch with my kids. I watch it with two of them. Um, and finally, I was like, hey, Clear Play. Clear Play has Shawshank. So we put it in the rotation. They were both shocked by how good it was. Mm. It is a really, really good movie. A great movie. 
Um, and I, it's I, in simple <laughs> ways too. So you think about the cinematography of 1917 or some of these other really, really yeah. rich films. Uh, same cinematographer did Shawshank. There's, the cinematography is not anything to uh, look down your nose at, even though it's just a prison movie. Right. Um, and it's, it's just really, really well done. It's so good. It's very is, good. Is and that it our needs pick? filters. Do we need to do that? We One can. We, we, we can do. We can do Lamp, but only only because it's on Clearplay. Yeah. So Lamp, courtesy of Clearplay. Great. Yeah. One funny story about that one. I took when I was a young husband. My wife was like, "What do you want to watch?" She was like, "I really want to watch something, you know, kind of a movie with a happy ending." And I was like, "Oh, Shawshank has a happy ending. <laughs> it does have a happy ending." <laughs> <laughs> and I turned it on, and she was like oh what is this and you know we watched the whole thing and i was like well it had a happy ending and i don't know my my best my <laughs> best uh wife pick moment i might i may have mentioned before was we were in the hospital uh having a baby and labor was long and she wanted to watch a movie and so she wanted and this is the age of we we had a video store at that time in moscow Idaho. there was still a video rental shop on main street really close to the hospital and which is awesome that we had that way longer than most of the world did right. and yeah. it was i was really sad when it left um but i ran there she's like just something dumb you know something like a rom-com or something and i ran to the video store and i rented this jennifer lopez movie without really thinking about it didn't pay much mind it got back really quick turned it on in the opening scene she dies in childbirth oh. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like, awesome like what did I do? <laughs> like my wife was sitting here laboring, <laughs> like, and, and oh boy, scene. <laughs> oh boy, that's <laughs> like touchdown, right? Yeah, yeah, touchdown. Well done, me. So you picked Shawshank for the the feel good. Now I will say in your defense, totally happy ended. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, uh, well done. Yeah. Well done, you. <laughs> but yeah, Shawshank. We did actually. We did a back to back uh, weekend. One was Friday night, one was Saturday, where we did Cherry to Fire and Shawshank. Mm. They'd seen Cherry to Fire before, but a long time before they'd aged a little bit. So they appreciated it differently. And then Shawshank, and both are examples of pretty exquisite filmmaking, like mm. really, really good filmmaking. I haven't watched either one for a number of years to get back to it. So, I need to show my kids. We could watch Cherry to Fire. Yeah. So I'll, I'll throw Cherry to Fire out there too. Nice. So we're going to, here's what we're going to talk about. Movies upcoming for us to talk about will be Boys in the Boat when that's available. Uh, we will talk about Shawshank and we will talk about Chariots of Fire. There we go. And happy endings. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Break. All right. I got two things for you. The second thing is that I'm going to show you our new Canon Plus video right after I get out of the way. Uh, if you're on audio, then you can listen to the script or view it on our YouTube. And then the first thing is that now through the end of December, you can get a year of Canon Plus and gift it to a friend or an enemy or a family member or both. Uh, for $59.99 instead of paying $95.88, which is more. You can do that by going to canonpress.com and clicking on the gift Canon Plus button. But you gotta go now, 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 or actually right after you watch this video. Enjoy. Hey, Christian Dad. Are you paying a monthly fee to let Hollywood producers pump their septic tanks directly into your living room? Even worse, directly into your imagination and the imaginations of your children. How much darkness streams into your home every day, every week? Have you gotten too used to turning your mind off when you put your feet up? Have you invited your own enemies into your home? How much damage has already been done to you and to your family? My heart says that the way I feel most myself is to go by the name Fred. That's because I'm non-binary. Canon Plus is building a global platform with one simple goal, to create and deliver great content that will help Christian families grow stronger and more dangerous in the world. Content that will kick your brain's butt and help you bear down and step up. Content that will encourage, equip, educate, challenge, and inspire your family. Content built on the bedrock of real truth, real goodness, not fake trendy virtues. How dare you? And real lasting beauty. Your family might already be struggling, 
Maybe the man of the house has been sipping too much Bud Light gospel in the basement for too long. It's day six of girlhood. But it's not too late. With thousands of audiobooks, podcasts, truth-telling documentaries, and curriculum for all ages, Canon Plus wants to help you grow stronger together with your family. There might be enemies at the gates, but there's a feast on the table to strengthen you for the fight. We want the resources we produce to help you do the real work of cultural change, becoming a lighthouse in your own community, armed with courageous joy and a faith that burns hot and bright, especially when the world would rather keep you on a cute little dimmer switch. We don't have to wallow in the world's filth. Moonlight, best picture. You ugly. We don't need to let our strength atrophy like numbed victims of some ungodly matrix leaving our families unprotected and vulnerable. It's time for Christian fathers to stop being such cultural cuckolds, well-behaved wonderbread winners sitting by and paying for the world to assault their families with lies. Let's get strong and grow our families strong. Let's raise our kids to be the world's worst nightmares. Smart, secure, fearless, joyful, difficult to control, and quick to laugh at lies and nonsense. <laughs> We're pushing back against the rising tide of sewage on our screens. We're pumping out antidotes to the world's poisons, but we can't do it alone. We need allies. You need allies. So consider this your invitation to join up and make things a little awkward for all our weaker brethren in church leadership. It's not that we're against anything. Who so badly want to be worldly cool kids. Help us build a streaming platform unlike any other. A platform that will challenge and strengthen Christians, mind, body, and soul, until this cultural tide begins to turn. She's dreaming about becoming the leader she knows she can be. And yes, this tide will turn. This ain't the Alamo. We're all gonna die, but we have no intention of losing. <sighs> Canon Plus. You don't have to subscribe.